0: Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting with One podcast, Success Leaves Clue series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life & Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We believe well-designed employee benefit programs enhance people's lives. I'm your host, as always, Robin Bailey, with my business partner and co-host, Al McDonald.
1: Al, how's it going? Uh, pleasure as always, Robin. I'm actually in the office today, a, a little bit of a rarity these days, but on my drive in, I heard that uh, one year ago today was the first case of a coronavirus detected in Canada.
0: So it's been a long haul, a different world, but here we are. It certainly has. And, and I remember when we, when we first got into podcasts, of course, we'd set up and the studio, which was my office, and we'd have the guest in. So I will say I I do miss those days, and I'm hoping that one day we get to uh, do these in person, and I would love to be doing the one in person with today's guest. So joining us today is Terry Donnelly, CEO of Hill Street Beverage Company. Welcome to the show, Terry.
2: Hello, Robin. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, glad to have you here because we've had some some great conversations offline. But right off the bat, I've got to tell the listeners about your website. As the marketing there, it, it's just so good. So go have a look. Just go to hillstreetbeverage.com. You'll see what I mean. So, Terry, who's responsible for the material on the website? Because I love it. When I looked at it, I said, okay, it's got
2: attitude. Yeah, it's mostly I'm guilty. Um, so <laughs> it's just... A result of what I've learned through 30-something years of, of being in the marketing world is consumers need something memorable. And as a small company, you can't be memorable by just hammering the message over and over again the way big companies can do with boring ads like Pantene, and you just hit people enough times with it and they'll remember you. Yeah. Thus, we really have limited options. So if we don't give you something truly memorable, right at the offset by being irreverent or funny or controversial or something, then we'll be forgotten. So it's, it's truly marketing strategy. And the entire intent was to punch above our weight in every way that we possibly could. And messaging and branding is right at the top of the list.
0: Yeah, well it's you guys have done a great job and and again so I, encur- I encourage people to go have a look because you know what we're all working hard these days we're probably working more hours than we used to and it's fun to see something like this so I, yeah, and, make- I and I
2: I actually wrote most of the copy on the website too so did, did you? okay so go, <laughs> a, you go know, have a look it's, it's uh, you know it's that that sense of humor that I tried to in- infuse the brand with is definitely got an origin in my entire family where you know Irish Upbringing, and there's nothing we like better than sitting around the table and just telling stories and laughing.
0: Very good. Well, folks, go have a look. I think you'll enjoy it. And if you don't, just let me know, but uh, we can chat about it. But I I think it's great. So let's dive in. So, Terry, when we first met and we started speaking, one of the first comments you made to me was that you were very unlike any CEO I had ever met. And then when you got into your story, I said, Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So, where I wanted to start with this series and Success Leaves Clues, because you have such an interesting journey until where you are today. What were the key ingredients or driving forces that led you
2: to become an entrepreneur? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, leaving home at age 17. And so leaving home, I had no money, no education, came from Regina, Saskatchewan, big Irish Catholic farm family. And, um, you know, just had to find my way in the world. And that means being an entrepreneur. And I actually left home and joined a punk rock band because I was originally a musician. Being a musician is the ultimate hustle. It's you have a gig one night, make money. That's the only job you have. You may never get another one again unless you deliver. And every audition, every band you play in, that kind of thing, it's like every gig could be your last if you screwed up. And so you have to perform, you gotta be on, you gotta know your stuff, you gotta know the material. And so I made it a point with every band that I walked into that I knew the material before I arrived. I knew it, the band didn't have to show me any of the songs. They sat you in the chair and every, the first time you played with them, it as if you had played with them the entire time. And so so that was the discipline that was brought up in my musical upbringing because my my mother was a classical musician nine brothers and sisters and eight of them were musicians and so you know we had that real strong classical music upbringing of, of the discipline of being accurate and and prepared and decided that playing 300 shows a year in 100 different cities is is probably not that conducive to to being uh, successfully married
0: <laughs> exactly um,
2: I know lots of rock stars have been married many times, so maybe it's very successful over and over again, but that's not the way we wanted to do it. So we moved from Vancouver, where I was based, to Toronto, and I needed to find a job. So I ended up going into a personnel agency, and they had no idea what to do with that resume. Like, what do you do with a guy who's been a touring musician? What job is he qualified for? So they hired me, like on the spot. And the empty desk that was available that they were looking to fill somebody in was placing people in marketing and advertising. And my life changed at that moment. And so I started placing people. And the very first placement I ever made was the creative director of Ogilvy & Mather, which is one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world. And the CEO of Ogilvy & Mather is still a friend of mine today. Wow. Wow. And that was the very first client I ever landed. She ended up actually hiring my wife a number of years later without actually knowing that we were married. And so she became pivotal in many ways in both of our lives. And we have a very dear friendship now. And I think that's probably the key to my success is really treating every person that I kind of come into contact with as though it's a relationship that's forming. Not that it's a sales call, not that it's something I need something from that this is a a relationship that could be meaningful in our lives. And I I think in the music industry, there's a lot of hustle. But if musicians are going to play together and be successful, you got to walk in and you got to connect. And music is a connection on both an intellectual level, but also on an emotional level. And so I've tried to take what I've learned from being a successful musician and turn it into the same principles I apply to music. And so being a CEO is kind of like, Conducting that orchestra, having the right players, having the right musicians, being able to make beautiful music together as a team, keeping us all aware of what's going on and in tune and in the rhythm of the business. So it's great lessons that can be learned from that skill set that are not often talked about. I've seen very, very few people talk about how being in music and having musical skill is eminently transferable and valuable in the corporate world, and it's actually one of the few sessions that I attended where they were talking about the principles of music was a great conductor who was at a technology conference, and he said, everyone who's had musical training, put your hand up. And it was literally 95% of the room. And so in certain industries like technology, the creative arts, those kinds of things, you'll find this kind of creativity, but it's a combination of the intellectual discipline and the mathematical accuracy of music coupled with the unlocking emotional horsepower and the emotional quotient that exists in people and, and that is what makes us human. And music integrates those in, in a very unique way. And interesting today is the exact anniversary, exactly one year ago today, a band I played in was the very first concert of the brand new Elma Combo in Toronto. So, And it has yet to have another concert because of the pandemic. It was supposed to open in March. So we are still the first and only performance that's taken place in that new $30 million concert venue that the El Macombo has become. So uh, I was just reminiscing with a friend of mine that today's the anniversary of that.
1: I'm not sure whether that's a title that you want to hold for a long time or not, but uh, that's certainly a notable one.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, I, listen, it just, we will always be the first band that ever played the new Elma combo. So and
1: apparently you were so good that they had I uh, had trouble uh, fill, uh, filling your well, shoes afterwards. It's, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> you they, can tell they, people that.
2: <laughs> they had a, a, like we were the trial run and it was a private party for a friend of the owner of the Elma combo for his birthday, who happens to be a friend of mine. And, and that's how we ended up getting the gig. And they had a full schedule. Like they were, Tier one world-class artists coming in, live streaming, video, recordings. Like Their production suite is the most state-of-the-art broadcast facility in the entire country. They spent $30 million building that building, and it's it's unbelievable. And because of the pandemic and the lockdowns, absolutely nothing has happened there since. So I'm sure they're super anxious to see the world get back to normal as well. As we all are. Exactly.
1: Great story. And we talked a little bit, Robin mentioned uh, the marketing on your website um, and how good it is. Tell us a little bit, where do you get, come up with all your great ideas? Because in terms of marketing, in terms of where you're heading with the company, you've got some interesting ideas and probably some unorthodox ones. So how do you come up with these?
2: So again, back to this kind of evolution of my career. So I started off hiring marketing and advertising people. And then ultimately after a number of years of doing that, one of my clients actually hired me to become their chief marketing officer. It's about a billion-dollar ad agency called MDC Partners. And so that organization is renowned worldwide for having the world's most creative and most award-winning marketing agencies of literally every discipline. So from digital to PR to advertising to brand design to you name it, they're literally the world's most renowned agencies. So people like Bruce Mao and Chuck Porter of Crispin Porter Bogusky and, and the 72 and sunny and anomaly. So if, if I went through the list of brands, the Budweiser, Google, Samsung, Target, BMW, infinity, Coca-Cola, Coors light Johnny Walker, Captain Morgan, all of these things, these are all ads. that are produced by my former employer. And so when I was in the ad business, We tended to gravitate to working with those creme de la creme players. Then I got hired by really what I consider to be the creme de la creme of the creme de la creme. And you just kind of get infused by being in that culture and in that environment in both unlocking creativity, but also having the comparative perspective to look at what is truly excellent from a creative standpoint and recognizing that that creative excellence actually delivers better business results. It's not creativity for the sake of creativity. It's creativity because it's been proven that brands that have award-winning creative perform better and have greater brand value than brands that don't. And that's a fact. And it's been proven time and time again with all kinds of studies on award-winning advertising versus non-award-winning advertising. And so, if you think of your favorite brands, if you think of the most respected brands that you consider to be great companies, et cetera, et cetera, and I guarantee you, at some stage, those companies have really broken through by having advertising and brand building strategies that really kind of touched a nerve. And that's really what you're trying to do. And it could be the funny bone, it could be an emotional. It could be a controversial thing, like if you think of Colin Kaepernick and Nike, they turned off half of America, and they lost $3 billion or $6 billion the next day in market value, and within a week, they'd gained $10 billion in market value right from where they started. They went down, and then they went way up from where they were, and it's because they weren't trying to please everybody. They're trying to speak to their audience and their consumers. And so brands need to really take a stand and have a brand with a voice. And that really got infused into me. And so when we started off doing this, we really needed to, as I say, punch above our weight and have our brand speak with a voice that was many times bigger than our revenue would indicate. Like if you look at our site and you look at the power of our brand and what it means to you, you probably think we're a big successful company. We're about two and a half million in sales right? So branding can be a very powerful tool to establish a company with a real degree of authority. I've been invited to speak literally around the world on cannabis beverages and on the alcohol-free marketplace. And I'm not Budweiser. I'm a tiny little company in Toronto. But because of the power that we've put behind our brand, we're getting that opportunity to sit at the table and to be considered a world leader in this new era, especially in the cannabis-infused marketplace. And so it's something that every business owner should really think about, you know, how powerful is their brand and how can they make their brand a global leader, a global authority, regardless of how small they are. When I joined the company, we had basically nothing. And now we're listed on the venture exchange and where products are in six or 7,000 stores across the country Our alcohol-free products. And we're just about to launch our cannabis-infused beverages into the marketplace in a matter of weeks. So it's a tool at every entrepreneur's disposal. Terry, you've mentioned it a
0: couple of times, an alternative, you know, to alcohol. And and Mm -hmm. obviously, if you go on your website, you can start looking into some of that. Why are you so passionate about this market and the alternative to alcohol?
2: Well, a number of things, and it really kind of happened to me personally with a diagnosis from a doctor. So I have a genetic liver condition. And it's not related to alcohol, but it's directly related to alcohol because it's I have an inability to process certain proteins in grain products. So I really have to watch my intake of grains. And what's the number one source of alcohol in the alcohol industry? Well, it's grain alcohol, beer, all spirits, pretty much all spirits, you know, and those kinds of things. But if you're a beer drinker, you're done kind of thing. And it coincided with work I was doing on the launch of Budweiser Prohibition, which was one of our accounts. And so when I left MDC, it coincided with getting a call from this group who had originally launched this company. It was originally called Mad Virgin Drinks, and it was a a private label brand built for mothers against drunk driving. And I was in a position where I could no longer consume any grain-based alcohol. And you start becoming aware, and I got recruited to be on the board of the Liver Foundation as a result of that. And so you become aware of alcohol is not just a problem for me, it's a problem for all kinds of people. And then you do some actual research, and you go, it's 5% of all deaths worldwide every year caused by alcohol consumption. 5% of all disease states, of all people that are currently have a disease of some kind, that's caused by alcohol. Alcohol is the cause of 23 different forms of cancer, liver disease, heart disease, kidney disease, arthritis, gout, the list goes on. It's a brutal toxin and it will kill you. And there's no real alternative until the cannabis industry launched. And the cannabis industry has an alternative, but it's unrefined and it's not processed. And I tell people, I say, listen, if you have a headache or a toothache, you're not going to go down the street and find a willow tree and peel off the bark and make a poultice or a tea and put it on your tooth or drink it. You're going to go to the store and buy an aspirin. And the active ingredient in aspirin, the acid, was originally extracted from willow bark. And so plant medicine is something that we in the Western world, as well as the rest of the world, have been using for thousands of years. And here we have this plant that has recently been legalized for consumption, but we're still consuming it in its raw, unprocessed form, right? Like that's not that scientifically smart. And there's a lot more we could do with it if we applied modern science to this. And that's what we've done, is we've been able to say, we've got wine and beer with no alcohol. If we could use the cannabis extract to create a wine or beer-like experience, to give people that same degree of social lubricant, that same uninhibiting social intoxicant, then we could eliminate all of the toxicity of alcohol and replace it with something that's non-toxic. And that's the important thing to know about cannabis. No one has ever in history, there's never been a recorded death from cannabis consumption all of those diseases and conditions that I mentioned that alcohol causes research is being done right now by every one of the research foundations that's focusing on those conditions. Every single one of them is researching cannabis as either a therapy or treatment for the same condition that alcohol causes, right? So cannabis has been touted as, you know, a cure-all and a this and everything like that. I just look at it and go, listen, if it doesn't do any of those things, if it reduces our alcohol consumption, it will reduce the societal cost of alcohol, which in Canada last year was $16 billion. It was over 80,000 hospital visits and 15,000 deaths. And if you compare that to cannabis, if you eliminate the criminal justice administrative bureaucracy that's been created to administer cannabis, if you remove that cost and look just at the health cost of it, The health cost of cannabis last year was about $300 million, and almost all of that was from people consuming black market cannabis with pesticides or overconsumption because they weren't in the legal framework, which basically eliminates almost all of the risk of overconsumption. And so once we kind of settle in around a purely legal environment, I think we have the potential to dramatically reduce healthcare costs. And we actually wrote a white paper as a company on, we were so fascinated by this comparison between cannabis and alcohol and what it could represent. And when we wrote this white paper a couple of years ago, we predicted the savings to our healthcare system. If 30% of alcoholic beverages were switched to cannabis beverages would be about $4 billion a year in reduced healthcare costs. It'd be 5,000 lives. It'd be 27,000 reduced hospital visits, Right. The numbers are staggering. The CEO of the Canadian Institute for Health Information, he actually said, and this is a quote from him, that alcohol is at least 30 times more harmful than cannabis. And yet it is the social beverage of choice of our society. Let's, Al Robin, let's sit around a table and crack open a bottle of poison and drink it in small amounts. How does that sound? Versus (laughs) let's crack open a bottle of this really healthful plant extract in a delicious grape or malt beverage, and get healthier and get giggly. Because, you know, really the more cannabis you consume because of the CBD and the other cannabinoids are in it, these things actually regulate homeostasis, which is the optimal functioning of your body. So if you consume cannabidiol, it regulates homeostasis. So, the more you consume, the healthier you become, the more your body is driven to function optimally. So, there's the juxtaposition. And when you kind of become aware of that, you go, why haven't we been doing this all this time? How is this a th- not a thing? How is this not the standard social lubricant to sit around and consume a, a beautiful cannabis beverage? So, that's why we're so passionate about it. That's why I am. I think this job is not just a job, it's a mission. You know, and so everyone on our team is super pumped about where this can go and how big this can be. And I think important thing to know is the genie's out of the bottle. It'll never go back to the way it was. It'll only go forward. And as more and more people become aware of the differences and distinctions between cannabis and alcohol, I think consumers will just choose the better product. We're going to try to make that always a cannabis-infused product. So better tasting, better for you, better experience, no hangover, much fewer calories, even just on the caloric intake, your average alcoholic beverage is about 180 calories. Your average cannabis beverage is about 30, right?
1: Can you talk, Terry, a little bit about, like, what do you see as the opportunity? I mean, where do you think this will go down the road? Where do you think that, that part of the industry is
2: headed? I think there's the broad industry at large, and, and I'll just use quotes from our competitors. So the CEO of Molson Coors, he said that 30% of the alcohol industry will become cannabis beverages. That was his quote, not mine, right? The CEO of AB InBev said it was 20%. They're planning to have 20% of their revenue in this area. The former CEO of Coca Cola and former CEO of Molson Coors, who then became CEO of a cannabis company, his prediction, and he just did it on 2018 per capita sales in Colorado. So, the per capita sales in Colorado, if you extrapolated that and then weighted it by the relative value of currency to every market in the world, on a broad scale, and then grew it at the rate of inflation from now to 2050, right? Between now and 2050, if cannabis becomes legal worldwide, you will see a $2 trillion industry just based on the per capita sales of Colorado, extrapolated to the rest of the planet. And then if you take the alcohol industry and say, well, listen, cannabis as an alternative to alcohol, we follow the CEO of Molson Coors. It's 30%. Well, the alcohol industry globally is about a $1.2 trillion industry. So cannabis beverages could, if expanded globally, become $400 billion of that total. And that's a very big business. In Canada, the alcohol industry in Canada is $26 billion. So you're looking at a $8, $9 billion segment that right today is you know, maybe $30, $40 million. And we're here at the very beginning of it with a brand with a pretty big presence that is about to launch and is only from this point on, we believe the industry is only going to grow. I mean, historically in the last 12 months, it's grown over a hundred percent. It's doubled in size and it will probably do that again. And then if, then the growth curve, you know, the it'll start to kind of do this, but it's going to be growing. Whereas if you look at the alcohol industry in Canada, beer sales are down 11 12 13%. Just in the first year of cannabis legalization, beer sales in Canada dropped 4%. That's $400 million loss of sales. And that's people switching from beer to cannabis. So as I said, the genie's out of the bottle. This is just going to continue. And I sort of view it, if you look at great alcohol brand like Smirnoff or Gibson's Finest, those brands were founded here in Canada at the end of Prohibition. And they are now... Smirnoff especially is is what, it's a $10 billion global brand and originally started like an Estevan Saskatchewan or something like, who would have thought a vodka brand from Estevan Saskatchewan a hundred years later would be a $10 billion global business, right? So I think who knows where the Hill Street and the Hill Avenue brands will be a hundred years from now, but we're building them. We're doing everything we can to construct them today so that that trajectory becomes possible.
0: As you're saying that, Terry, I'm wondering if you know, and obviously they didn't have the technology to have a podcast when smyrna first started in saskatchewan but i wonder if someone was sitting down with the ceo and just trying to find out what makes you successful like like we are today so al for- capone <laughs> and sam Bronfman,
2: getting- <laughs> maybe uh,
0: a <laughs> you know. yeah. hundred years from now people will go back and listen to this and say oh okay so that's how it all started so, with terry's company so yeah terry always great speaking to you i know we could go a lot longer on this episode because it's so interesting and just just your background in general, I, I think, is so interesting, and I will tell our our listeners that. I did not coach Terry to talk about how there's a link between uh, very bright people and music. You might notice my company is called Aria Benefits, and it's really formed around music. So I didn't coach Terry to say that, but I'm glad you did, because uh, I I think there's a link there too. It's funny, we're uh, we're chatting with a few people today, very successful people in their own right, different industries than yours, and they are also musicians. So Mm -hmm. when you were talking about that, that kind of struck a, Accord. See what I did? There? <laughs> um, and I just, I just thought that was very interesting. but I think, yeah. I think you're right. So, so yeah. Terry, can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Really enjoyed our first conversation with you. Really enjoyed this one too. Learned a little bit more. And uh, the more I learn, the more I like you. I want to continue having, uh, as you said, developing those relationships. So hopefully, yeah. chat after this. So, what's the best way for people to reach out if they want to find out more about yourself or Hill Street Beverage?
2: I'm very findable on LinkedIn. So that's kind of the main thing for my business. I I post it there regularly, almost daily. Uh, Twitter at TerryD1, also at Hill Street Bevco. So those are the the Twitter handles. Same with Instagram, Hill Street Bevco. Facebook, Hill Street Beverages. And obviously online, Hill Street Beverages. And then if anyone would love to try the products that we're making today or in every major grocery store across the country, Loblaws, Shoppers, Drug Mart, Sobeys, no frills, et cetera, et cetera, We're right across the country in, in those major banners. Or you can go to hillstreetbeverages.com. And if you're placing your first order, use Friend of Terry 20, and you'll get 20% off your first order and free shipping. Ah, oh, so that. that takes the pain out of uh, trying that first sample of world class award winning. We, uh, we've won multiple world championships for our, our beer and our wine. Our Cabernet Sauvignon is amazing. It's the only non-alcoholic wine to win a double gold medal at the San Francisco international wine competition. That's the biggest wine competition in the world. And double gold means that the judges in blind taste testing unanimously selected that one as the gold medal winner. So that's That's, the first time that's ever happened for a non-alcoholic wine. So, so you know, hopefully you'll, you'll try it. You'll like it and reach out to me on, on LinkedIn and say, hi. All right, folks, go
0: ahead and try that. I know I am going to as well, because I am a friend of Terry now, so I'll be using that code. All right, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. As always, I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends, and remember, it all starts with one.